Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Hi, I'm Das Smith and welcome to The Signal Line. Today's podcast was a June 4th RV open chat and discussion. We discussed many topics, but the main one was ETs, UAPs and UFOs. We then later moved on to all kinds of remote viewing topics. So sit back and enjoy the show. Take care. Hi everyone, so you all know the uh, general rules by now. Um, Generally people put their hand up if they want to ask a question or if they want to have something to say. We don't have any guests on tonight, so it's literally just a almost like a free-for-all discussion on all things uh, RV, um, maybe even some of the latest uh, UAP, UFO uh, revelations, because that was uh, asked for in, in one of the comments. Uh, if you don't want to ask a, a question verbally uh, with your microphone, uh, feel free to try to type it in the chat window as well, and myself or someone else will pick that up and try to ask that on your behalf. So, with that said, anyone got anything they'd like to discuss or comment on or ask or anything to kick this off? I think it's quiet. Well, I have to say that I'm enjoying your calendar of the countdown for June. <laughs> Yes, it's an interesting month. I did see on some uh, UFO forums yesterday that the cer- certain people in UFO research have been told that there's going to be a new release, not not the uh, not the report, but a new release of some. So I'm, I'm guessing new video files on Tuesday, uh, and they you know they were mentioning words like Pentagon and stuff. So we might be getting uh, yeah we might be getting some more interesting footage. Well, it sure seems like they're trying to milk this as much as they can. Yes, it's interesting. And uh, myself and quite a few other people have tried to debate what the uh, what the agenda might be with this, because, you know, these people don't do anything without having an agenda behind what they're doing. You know, they haven't kept this secret for for the last uh, seven decades for, for no reason at all. Well, it seems to me that it's most likely a precursor to trying to let out some of the technology. But it's not really going to be a, here's the aliens, here's the different species that have been involved, the different things. It's really about, well, we think, we know these things are out there. They've got some tech that's pretty cool. And, oh, gee, we found one, no bodies. And we're basically <clears throat> going to reveal the technology, that some of it, that we've gotten from them. I don't think they're going to do anything as it relates to really exposing entities. Yeah, that does make sense. Uh, it does seem to be a uh, a stepped uh, kind of disc- disclosure campaign. You know, I think it's been going on uh, for at least two decades with, you know, films and media. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It probably will be. Uh, oh, look, we have some we have some parts from a UFO and look at oh, look at the amazing technology we can get from this. And that will be the, you know, the next stage that people can think about for a couple of years before 
we get to a stage at some point in the future where they might say, oh, and by the way, these are the uh, these are the beings behind the behind this. Yeah, it's certainly thrown up an interesting discussion among the UFO community about the types and numbers of different entities out there and the delineations on who's, you know, a positive galactic federation or if it's some of the more negative ones that are battling amongst themselves for control of us. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, disclosure happened thousands of years ago and written about in the all the ancient mythos. Literally every civilization has some component in their history about beings from above came down, gave us stuff, told us things, and we wrote it down. So this is to me is more of a revealing of the secrecy that it is disclosure. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I think I've told people uh, in this group in the past, I've spent uh, uh, a lot of years since I was 19 years old collecting uh, everything I could on, on UFO research. I stopped in 2005 because it got to a point of uh, when you had every piece of public footage you could get and, you know, tens of thousands of FOIA documents and, you know, all the books I could possibly manage. It got to a stage of where do you go from here? You know, it's real, you know, they're out there. It's just waiting for everyone else to catch up now. Um, and I think that's what's been, been happening ever since. Although it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a dodgy area still. There's lots of disinformation going on all the time. Agreed. But, you know, it's great. It's great that, uh, the UFOs or UAPs, as they call them now, are uh, has always and still uh, closely integrated in remote viewing research as well. Well, Courtney and the and the group over at Farsight has certainly been cranking out some interesting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a subscriber of the Farsight stuff, so I haven't seen any of it for a while, uh, other than what uh, some of the people on. Uh, the Discord group show me every now and again. There's some some very interesting stuff they've been doing, and um, the last one was I think it's called the. Um, uh, it's about a group that was hitherto unknown up in the Himalayas around Tibet, and they're not associated with the Galactic Federation. They have something to do with um, another uh, original group where the Sanskrit writings came from. And I got to tell you, every time I look at Sanskrit and any of the Vedic stuff, it's some pretty deep and amazing writings and, and concepts that they put forward there. So the last one that they did, they said that these writings were from this group and they were the original, not only the, uh, the Sanskrit writing, which seems to baffle most linguists and people who uh, research that, but uh, there's some very interesting things as it relates to tones and harmonies and essentially frequencies, which to me is what remote viewing is. Remote viewing, and I've, I've been following it since the mid-90s. I'm not a practitioner. I'm starting to get into it. I follow just about everything I can. But it seems to me that remote viewing is simply trying to find the frequency that existed or exists within whichever target uh, is identified. And you simply dial into that frequency at a, at a really simplistic level. Anyone else, else got any comments on the UFOs, their personal experiences or research that they've uh, come across? I know Russell's got some. <laughs> I don't have any personal experiences. Mine 
tend to be more paranormal, I guess, okay, <laughs> in my life okay. experience. But I've always been interested, Daz, in uh, since you studied it so much and you remote view, what can you summarize the conclusion that you've come to? Uh, about a well, I see. I don't like to call them aliens, even though other people do. You know, there are some of the uh, alleged experiences, abductions, and and, uh, and other ones. Uh, they do claim that they've towed and given descriptions of star systems and places where they come from. I don't think that's the whole story, though. Um, I think there's a lot more happening than we uh, possibly know. You know, as human beings, we try. We sometimes tend to think black and white too much. I think there's huge amounts of grayscale in, in what's happening here. And uh, probably for uh, the entire existence of humanity, there have been different life forms that are most probably non-physical, um, but also maybe uh, dimensional in time and space that interact with us. And, you know, we just label them in, in all different types, types of ways, depending on where you come from in the world, you know, angels, elves fairies all, all that kind of stuff and you know the modern interpretation is a uh, is uh gray aliens mainly uh you know there are other ones like alleged reptilians and, and nordic looking ones and stuff um so i think i think a lot's happening uh, uh i think the personally from what i've seen and you know i've i've probably seen more than the normal person because i went out of my way to collect it i think that there's a no if you do that there's an overwhelming uh, library of evidence to prove that uh, there is something happening with uh, with phys with physical type craft, um, but whether they are dimensional or from another planet, I can't confirm. Uh, other than you know, some of the uh, some of the uh, probes and some of the imagery and video films that that come back from uh, planets in our solar system. Do seem to show some really interesting anomalies that lead me to believe that uh, some of some of what we experience is is uh, what we class as alien or extraterrestrial. Um, and you know the RV seems to uh, indicate that as well. But as we know with remote viewing, uh, if you can't feedback it, it's it's hard to quantify the data as much. Uh, I don't throw it out like most people tell us you should do. Because I also base the uh, the data on the the credibility and reliability of uh, the viewer doing the RV and how they performed over a long period of time, and you know I allow that a certain uh, amount of weight in in my decision. Um, but yeah, I think it's yeah. Sorry, it's a long winded answer. I think there's a lot going on. I think it's way more complicated than we can ever imagine. I want to say something at some point on this too. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, so people may know that in transdimensional systems, there were at least five people who were remote viewers who experienced uh, alien visitation, not just crew with the gray dude in the bathroom, but also four other remote viewers that I know who claimed that uh, hammerhead aliens or something like that were appearing in their bedrooms and interfering with them. We also have um, Angela Thompson Smith, who is able, she says, to channel aliens as she sits at the typewriter and types. So there's another strong tie between, uh, let's say, a practicing remote viewer and aliens or euphonauts, whatever you want to call them. So I guess my question, too, is, has anybody else in this field experienced such an intimate connection? And I have to say, 
I never experienced anything like that when I was in transdimensional systems, nor did Don Walker or Roma. We were the three interns scheduled to be on the next uh, team, the uh, pro team, and get paid when we shut down. So I've never experienced that, although I believe that uh, there are UFOs that are not just pigments of imagination since 1953. So I'm, and I've studied the field quite a bit also, although not recently. But so this connection between actually sort of practicing remote viewers and aliens, not just uh, stuff like Ingo had where he meets them in the, in, the, in the grocery store or in the lake. So I just raised that as a topic in case anyone has any more contributions on that particular facet. Okay, yeah, um, Daz hinted a little while ago that I had some experiences. Uh, the first thing I have to say to everybody, anytime that I talk about this one in particular, dismiss it as you will. I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm not asking you to reject it. I can only tell you my certainty level is 100% with no questions and a witness. So as a young child, um, I saw a gray with my physical eyes, wide awake, encountered it. My mother was a single mom. I was sleeping in the same bed with her. She woke up, screamed, freaked out, and then the thing took off. <clears throat> and Hal Putoff uh, interviewed me uh, about this. The <clears throat> memory is, is just not in question. Subsequent to that, I had um, a horrific childhood of nighttime activity to the point that I got shipped off in like, well, I think it was 1969 to the child psychologist who at that point, uh, fortunately was not just drugging kids. And I had to go through you know, a particular thing because of you know, what they diagnosed as night terrors. It was to the point for me um, that I, had this little, uh, what you call, I guess, you know, like a, a broomstick cowboy thing where it, it was a coat rack with a um, horse's head on it and then little things that came off where you could hang, hang stuff. So every night I would have to set that at the corner of my bed facing towards my door. I put a hat on it, put a um, shirt to make it look like a man or something standing at the end of my bed. Subjectively, when the experiences would come, <clears throat> the first thing that would happen would be like a black vortex and it would take my voice. So when I would start to scream for my dad or uh, my stepmom, uh, I, I couldn't. Finally, I was able to break through and you know get a voice out. On the times where I couldn't, um, literally what I did was I just hunkered down and sang the Mickey Mouse song, which was popular back in the 60s, to myself to just get through it. So I have, uh, shall I say, a, a little bit of a negative disposition towards at least one faction. The rest I, I cannot speak to. And this went on for quite some time. I had another uh, encounter in 2010 after, immediately after coming back from my first remote viewing training with Ed Dames um, that left uh, physical marks. And those were photographed. Um, and then when I went to research the marks, um, there were like 30 other people with the exact same marks in the exact same spot. 
And one of, uh, well, in fact, Dad sent me a photo uh, of, of one he had, he had seen once I sent him the photo of the, the physical injury that I had. The um, uh, Brian Vikey, uh, a UFO researcher, had a case on his site that had a guy with the exact same marks, exact to the T, photographed. And this was substantiated because of a police investigation because children also had marks. And so the police had investigated, there were other evidential things that, that I won't go into. So for me, um, you know, it's unquestionably real. I eventually did some uh, memory work, uh, it recalled a couple of other things that were interesting. And then the other physical experience with my own eyes occurred in 2002, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was 2002, it might have been 2003, but right in there. I was coming home late one night from a photography assignment. I, I used to do event photography when I lived in Wyoming and uh, went in, uh, I lived up exactly halfway between Cody, Wyoming and the East Gate of Yellowstone, a little town called Wapiti. And that area is a uh, rock bowl or a granite bowl, if you will. So even if so much as a Harley went up the highway, it literally just, you, I mean, it would wake you up in the night, especially during the summer when like 10 or 15 Harleys would come by together. So there was nothing in that area that would make a, a large sound and not be noticed. The other thing there, the, there was no uh, FAA uh, high altitude air corridors above us. And the only time you ever saw a helicopter was uh, if a Forest Service helicopter was dealing with like a little lightning strike fire or something like that. So I was coming home about 2.30 in the morning, as I recall, pulled in my driveway. And, um, <clears throat> and originally, I think, told the story. I was like a quarter mile or half mile away. I actually went back and Google Earth it. And it was about a mile away that there was a, a little hill. And the only way I can describe it, I, I happened to just kind of be looking up this, whatever it was, folded into our reality. It had no distinct physical shape. It was a brilliant orb, um, just radiating light that even illuminated the, the top of the, the little hill. And so I rolled down the window in my truck, not a sound. Then I positioned myself um, with my head against the back of my truck and then I had a little oil sticker Oh, you know, when they uh, give you that thing to remind you to change your oil. And I positioned the thing between two lines on that. And for at least a minute or so, it was absolutely guaranteed motionless. So then it continued. And finally I said, you know, I'm just done with this crap. So I pulled my truck out and I, I went right at it. And I got uh, about a quarter mile away and then it folded out. That was it. It just folded in, stayed absolutely stationary, did not make a single sound, and then folded out. The part of the story I always find very interesting was sitting right next to me was about two or three thousand dollars worth of camera gear. And during what I estimate to be about a seven minute incident, it never occurred to me to even grab my camera and take a picture, which I thought was odd because Literally, you know, I would take a picture of anything, wildlife, whatever. I always carried my camera with me. So then to top it off, and I don't know how to connect this, except for it was related 
at least chronologically, maybe not causatively, but the next day I went to this store, a little store called the Red Barn. In Wyoming, people are pretty conservative, so all the grouchy old Republicans would go there every morning, drink a bunch of coffee, and just argue over everything. So I'd always go down there for that show. So I pulled down, uh, it's a little tiny store, combo gas station one, like literally 1970s punks. This was, you know, back in 2002. And there was the oddest, most strange energy character just standing out in the parking lot. This community had 250 post office boxes. Most of them were for seasonal people. So in the Valley, the population was probably 70 to 100 during the winter and everybody knew everybody. So this guy was completely out of context. And I, had, I mean, I felt just like it was weird and he would not take his eyes off me. And he wasn't like black men in black, just jeans and you know normal clothes. So I walked past him and the closer I got, the more uncomfortable I got and he turned his head and followed me. So I just went past in the store and then everybody in there was like, who the hell is that guy? He's so weird and creepy. And then he just looked in the window, got in a regular car, not a black SUV or anything like this, got in a regular car and just drove off and never saw him again. How that was connected, I can't say. It just happened one after the other. And I wasn't even at the time um, correlating him to that event. That happened later. So 2002 was the first time I just said, okay, it's, you know, I need to um, start studying. So that's the first time I started studying UFOs. And for me, um, and I'm discarding a bunch of subjective incidents, but those two, the early childhood, physical seeing of a gray, and then the 2002 um, seeing whatever that was in the sky are just irrefutable and undeniable to me. So, you know, looking at this disclosure thing, one thing <clears throat> that I've said before, and whether it's popular or not is up to each individual, I find it very interesting that in 2017, this disclosure movement um, began with the New York Times. And four months later, um, Dr. Greer comes out with this whole contact protocol. And I know people, lots of people who have decided to open their hearts, invite these beings in. I've done a full review of that film and there's some very bizarre things stated in that film. Um, I had a couple of people, practitioners contact me and tell me privately some things that had happened that were uh, unsettling to them, to say the least. And I always back this up with this. I don't believe this is an evil or a negative universe of the potentially trillions of beings, disembodied, semi-embodied, spirit bodies, physical bodies, physical bodies of every type. I think like humans, the high majority are good folks, if you will. I consider for whatever reason um, that earth right now is in, in a bad neighborhood. And I think I agree with Robert's assessment um, that there are factions um, competing against themselves, not dissimilar to how gangs would compete in one city you know, for territory. And taking that analogy a step further in terms of the broader spectrum of the universe, if I'm in a certain aspect of Chicago, I, I'm in danger. But as the crow flies maybe four miles away, 
is all the museums, all the operas, all the libraries, all the wonderful, beautiful stuff going on. So I think it's a, a matter of neighborhood and whatever the interest uh, in earth is, there, there is a faction. Now in some aspects of uh, Pat Price papers that unfortunately are not fully public, he does straight out say that he perceived and reported this to Hal that there are two factions um, on earth primarily fighting. Interestingly enough, uh, as Robert said, one had hunkered down in the Himalayas and another um, is in a different area. And Pat described quite a bit of that in his um, publicized uh, assessment of the underground bases, which I, I did a uh, presentation on at one time. I think it's a real situation I think there's an aspect to it that is very negative when it comes to human. I highly encourage people at the very least, please put these contacts through some discretionary process. One of the things that seems very, very clear to me is, and this, this comes, um, we had a very interesting talk with Hal Putoff when we were in uh, Hal's intermediate class. And a lot of what he told us there has now been fully disclosed through the Skinwalker Ranch show. But one of the things that um, he, he indicated was that, that there does seem to be a, a hostile element to it. And he's been serious about disclosure since 1969. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, he was with the NSA, it's a deception. Lou is a evil, you know, government agent. I just don't think that's so. Uh, and, and I just had the good fortune to, to spend a couple of hours in a Zoom um, with one of the witnesses of the Nimitz incident who was on, on a ship. And I was able to ask him and, and just, just listening and looking and feeling his emotion on, on how that left him. You know, I just, I just don't, I don't think this is being made up. It's not that there isn't games being played. I think there are, but in this case, um, oh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. One of the things Hal told us was from his experiences and his knowledge that they can um, create our perception of them or at least a filter. He told one story of two individuals who were 10 feet apart, um, witnessed by numerous other people at the scene, they encountered some sort of a ball of light and they each had completely different descriptions of the experience, the time that passed, the color of the thing, all of this. I know from some of the work I did bringing some of this through that there were kind of layers of, you know, they call them screen memories, but there was like these layers associated with it that if you first approach them, you might take a innocent, naive, or even a benevolent interpretation, but once you break through that layer, and I'm talking about in these memories, we're calling even the physical pain and discomfort of the various processes going on, and realize I can't be making this pain up in my body while I'm realizing this, or I can't regenerate this much fear while I'm recalling it. So those things are real to me. So I would say to anybody that wants to reach out, I hope you land a good one. I, I truly do. Um, I just don't know that the good ones are reaching out to us directly. 
Normally we go through, um, you know, walk down the street, the people grabbing us and panhandling and stuff, those are usually not the ones with the good intention. The rest of the people that pass us quietly, they, they seem to be. So my admonition to anybody, just employ some method of discretion. Don't play around with it, please, because as remote viewers, we're open, we're already perceptive, we're already used to having information, information trickle in through our pre-conscious. Um, and that's it, that's the end of my tirade. And like I said, feel free to accept or reject. I'm just telling you what, and, and I've been pretty diligent about sorting this all out. So anyways, Daz, thank you. And now I'll be quiet. That was great. That was great. Thanks for sharing. Um, so on the list here, we've got some hands up. So Kiari, would you like to go first? Okay, sure. Um, hello, everybody. Sorry, I'm a little bit late. I've got a, um, what to me is a more important question after this, because right now we're very obviously on a topic. So on this topic, I wanted to mention a, uh, two clear things. One, in Mexico, we have a lot, like a lo statistically, you wouldn't believe how many people talk about UFOs there. Like it's just phenomenal like 10 times more 20 times more than canada but anyways so we have a lot um the interesting thing uh, what what russ said that really resonated with me is we also have a lot of uh, what some people would it's a very catholic country so if you're not catholic people will often consider you a witch or from the wrong side or whatever i'm saying that with respect i was raised in a catholic family but the important thing I'm mentioning here is that the body marks that appear on people, including one of my friends, uh, is, is that we often attribute this to Mexican witchcraft, uh, but we don't know what it is. But the interesting thing is on the continuing with the UFO alien thing is that we have this phenomenon called brujos, which translates to witch and they're energy balls. And if you're watching the Wiltshire County videos of the um, crop circles, there are a few videos that look really similar to the, the Mexican witches or the brujos. Um, nobody knows what, in Mexico, nobody knows what they are, but people have a million different theories, but that definitely is attributable to worldwide what's called the UFO phenomena. Now, that's the first part. The second part, um, I'm really, really interested in, in, in this, you know, old Mexican spirituality and all this. And there's these people called uh, graniceros, people that bring the hail or people that can call a lightning bolt down. So of course, when I, I heard about PK Man, I read the book. Um, I was watching the Deborah Lynn Katz interview with Jeffrey Mishlove, a relative to PK Man, fascinating, great. And um, they mentioned Ted Owen's course that was given that both of those respectful and honorable people uh, have heard his, well, Jeffrey Mishlove took the course and he recorded it. But PK Man is very much into alien influence on one's own thing and the appearance of UFOs. And his history is actually very well documented, which is, which is unusual. And Russell Targ and Dr. Haloff put off have experience with this guy. So anyways, I'm reading the book. Chapter 11, there's a self-improvement course. I do not want anything to do with extraterrestrials or UFOs. And not in a negative way. I'm just not interested. It's not my my life path right now. So I'm, I'm not interested in that. But I read the course and I did it properly. In other words, I repeated it four times. I was in the process of making it into an audio so that I could listen to it while I was sleeping. Because it, it seems to me like really good new age style self-help information. But unfortunately, very quickly after that, I had an experience in my bed that I, I told some of you about 
But I was like, holy shit, in my life, I've never had anything like that. And I, I first attributed it to Mexican witches, like maybe, like, I mean, real witches. In Mexico, we have people where you pay them money and they'll do evil stuff to other people. I'm always on the good side of the tracks. I'm not interested in that nonsense. But I attributed that experience to someone that I don't know trying to attack me. I'm not used to these sort of things. This isn't my normal style of life. So anyways, fine. Uh, then I saw the chat with Deborah Lynn Katz here one week ago, and I thought, holy, there's a connection between that and the PK man stuff that I was just reading the course I had taken. Now, here's the interesting thing. I'm in communication with his son. His son is alive. To me, he seems like a cool guy, my, my kind of guy. His son sent me a message a day or two after without knowing that I had had the experience about the experience. So that, to me, really rings a bell with what Russell picked. Uh, Russell is saying, and that it's quite possible that these, it, it, what does he call them, space intelligence, are, are alive and actively, uh, uh, how, how would you say, socializing with us or interacting with us? I don't know. But I wanted to put that down, that, that in Mexico, we have a long history of this, including contemporary history now with what are called UFOs. And the two things might be mixed up with our old history. So that's about it. I, I'm with Russell on the thing that I think all, uh, a lot of discretion and care should be taken. And I see no reason trying to elicit the help of extraterrestrials if as humans, we can get our environment and our world together. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Thanks for that. And next, uh, with their hand up is Bill. You had your hand up for a while. Okay. Glad I could make it this week, fellas, that no outage to work. It's probably coming, but not yet. <clears throat> but, um, you know, what Russell said really kind of hit home that I haven't had any really interactions with aliens. But when I grew up in Arkansas, one of our family friends, and we just um, knew he was one of the major UFO investigators, researchers in Arkansas, and so at an early age, I was, you know, back in the 60s as a little kid, was, you know, exposed to it and developed really a lifelong interest. Um, the only thing that ever happened to me is, I don't know what year it was, maybe 65 or 66. I lived in a two-story house, old house in, in Arkansas, and I woke up one night and I got out of my bed and went and looked out of the south-facing window and I saw this I'd say a fleet or something of these blue lights off in a distance, not very close, flying around doing the standard UFO type maneuvers and everything. And I watched it, I don't know how long. And then I went and got back in bed and went to sleep. And that was my only thing that happened like that. But you know, during that whole time, like Russell said, I had all this camera gear and I, it never crossed my mind to take a picture of it, but it never crossed my mind to go wake my sisters up or my parents up. Because these things were out there, I don't know, I can't say how long, but quite a while. They would be there flying around, disappear, come back. And then I just went to bed. So that was my experience. Nothing bad came of it. I will say this, though. I agree with you all that trying to go out there and, and solicit help from these guys, you're probably going to pay a price. They're not going to give that help if they, it's gonna, they're going to want something in return more than likely. That's it. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, next up in with their hand up is Rich. I appreciate it. Skip me if you don't mind. My topic's going to derail this whole thing, so we can wait till later. 
Okay. Uh, SF then, uh, uh, do you want to comment on this topic? <coughs> Still muted. All right, I'm muted. I just want to say my story real quick. I was in my backyard one, one time, and like I remove you too. Like I'm a high, reached high, like at least seventy. But I'm just laying. I'm just laying right here, in my like in my bench press, and then I just see a star. Just a, I think it was there or not, but I caught it, and it just vanished, and it moved to like another part, like a little bit more to to this side, and did it, and I kept staring at it because I was like, what was that? And then it went again, like three or four times. But it was taking its time, like it was like, I guess watching. I don't know what it was doing, but I never experienced with aliens like to look for them or nothing like that. Like I, even now, I don't even want to remove you. But it did like shook me up a little bit. Like this thing's probably are up there. Like it was so fast, it would just blink in and out. And there, and then I, I think like probably they're just out there all the time. Just you just never see them. I think that's what they do. That was just my story. Thanks for sharing that. That was great. <laughs> and next up then with a question is Pablo. Hello. So I'm going to share three opinions, just like, like personal opinions. Everyone is welcome to, to challenge them or don't agree with them, right? You just wanted to share. But first one is I'm really surprised how different apparently separated topics always converge into the same thing, you know, one way or another. You start with RV, you end up with this topic and many others, and they, they go around like in circles. The other thing is that uh, I am attributing this to RV, but probably it's a little bit broader. Uh, and I don't want this to sound a little bit cliche, but it's like Steve Jobs said once, you can only connect the dots backward, right? So many things, especially in the past month, uh, have started to, to make sense, right? More information have come uh, to me and I've been able to you know, like say, oh, this experience now that I see in this light probably was one of those situations where, where this, this, this phenomena is real, right? But this leads me to the final thought or, or thing. I sometimes feel that even though many people is well prepared for this, you know, for example, how with all the studies he did, all the experience, even working for the CIA, he, he saw things that he will probably never be able to talk about. And yet it feels like we are all a bunch of children talking about some really nice modern car that passed by and we are like trying to guess what will it be. And what we're not realizing is probably later in the future we'll, we'll keep evolving to, to use some kind of word and we'll finally see, oh, this, this is what all that was about. That's why I quoted in the chat Bob Dean. May he rest, rest in peace. But especially during his, his last years, he shared, I think it was probably the last public appearance he made, that things are a little bit more simpler than we think, but yet more complicated at the same time. And that there will be a time where where humankind will realize what it is about. It's not yet, but eventually we will be there, right? So what I find, you know, really appealing is that we are able now to talk about this. There's a forum like this because otherwise you will not be able to talk it freely. 
we are not like, you know, going into a pub somewhere and secretly in a corner discussing it and wishing no one heard and then be pursued. Uh, but yeah, you know, as a finishing touch, I, I was discussing uh, pre the previous week, a few instances I thought had all, all the traces of being uh, kind of a contact. And yeah, the, the other guy was able to, to describe things that I never said. And uh, it was not like, you know, people guessing. He had details and he said, you know, you will be surprised how many people have this in common. So uh, my, my, my point is we may all have experienced something and we don't really forget. We, we take it for granted day-to-day -day stuff, right? That, that's everything. Thank you and thanks for sharing again. Okay, next up then is uh, Russell again. Yeah, I just wanted to point out uh, for either people that uh, were here or people that weren't here, last week's talk when uh, John and Deborah were presenting their new book, toward the end of that talk, Deborah encountered or, or relayed an experience of an encounter of her own. Do you remember that, Naz? And ultimately, it did have negative impacts in her life. And ultimately, she had to do some uh, energy clearing work uh, with an associate to rid herself of the pres presences that had impinged upon her. So I think, you know, there's someone from within our own community who's uh, obviously very psychic and perceptive that, that had an experience she shared. It's worth going back and seeing if you didn't see it. Okay, uh, thanks for that, Russell. Uh, um, Brett's up next. Yeah, can you guys hear me? I'm not sure yeah, about my turn. Cool. Yeah. So I, I keep this kind of short uh, and sweet, hopefully, but I have a little bit of a hot take, maybe, perhaps, on uh, this topic and remote viewing. And uh, it's in my, the, this is premised on that actually kind of a key event for me to even get into and discover remote viewing is, and I wrote about this in, in my book, but at the beginning of my book is that I actually saw a triangle UFO uh, fly over my head in the middle of the night and uh, go rather slow. It was around 1 a.m. in the morning and the, the triangle essentially took off at what I can really only describe as warp speed without making a sound um, out over the ocean. And so the lights just zipped off and it was, it was really large too. This was not a tiny craft. Now, is that alien? Is that not alien? Is that, you know, I, I don't, you know, I can't prove that either way. That could be something that's man-made for all I know, right? But that's what started me down this road into discovering remote viewing more than 10 years ago now. But my hot take on this topic is I think personally that a lot of the um, interest in using RV for this area, and I fell into this trap myself, so I'm, you know, I'm almost like, it is very reckless by a tremendous amount of people uh, because I, you're, it's like sticking your hand into a black box that could have anything in it. It could have a, scor a scorpion in it and you get stung. It could have a snake in it, get bit. It could have a little fluffy rabbit and it's, you know, and it's perfectly fine, right? But the real question is you have no idea and so many people and I was one of them. This is one of the reasons why I even got into remote viewing was I wanted to use RV to, oh, like a kid in a candy store kind of uh, pull back layers of reality. What's really there? You know, it was really appealing to me to use remote viewing for that, that 
to that effect, but without really having anyone to say, hey, actually take another uh, perspective on it, that maybe doing that is not the wisest thing. And, you know, I've, you know, shared maybe with a couple people, some of the ramifications of doing that, that I just experienced in my own life that were not positive because I turned my attention to a lot of these things. And uh, it's one of the reasons that I really don't do it anymore at all. It's because I have no interest in those ramifications. And, you know, I've, there's no real point in me going into those stories of what those are because, you know, those are just my experience. So I don't really share that publicly, but my hot take, I really do think that this should be the opinion that using remote viewing to look at this kind of stuff without having any regard of it affecting you as an individual is not, I think, an opinion that's loud enough out there in the public. I think that it's really unwise of people who have no idea how to interact on that level. I think most of us don't even know how to interact on that level, but to just expect that we can put our attention out there on these things that are real and expect only positive things to happen is in my personal opinion, stupid. And I, you know, I am someone who's been burned by doing it. I had to handle that with other people that are much more intelligent than me on uh, just some of the negative blowback of using RV to that effect. And um, so, I mean, it's a kind of a harsh, you know, opinion. It's my own opinion and only mine, but uh, you know, you obviously feel free to disagree. That's just my, my opinion on it. That's all. Just feel like, felt like I should share. That's it. Brett, if you don't mind me asking, do you feel like that was a result of maybe like your subconscious intention or uh, prior beliefs? And that's why you had a certain experience or, or do you think there's no correlation and it's just, that's how it is. I really didn't have any prior, I believe I went into it very agnostic, uh, which is how I went into remote viewing even to begin with is it came like, Ooh, this is really interesting. I'm not sure what this is. Let me find out. So I actually, before even I got into RV or any of this stuff, I was not into this arena at all. I knew nothing. And so I was more of a blank slate. So uh, I don't think it was really affected by anything a priori to the actual stuff that popped up. So I just, if there's one takeaway I could impart on anyone is just be really wise about what you turn your attention to. If in this arena, it's, um, you know, don't, don't go traipsing into things that you know nothing about, you know, like maybe <laughs> that's all just don't be reckless. You know, that's, that's it. Did you want to say something, John? I do. Um, yeah, just to relay some of my own experiences with uh, transdimensional and other situations of, regarding UFOs and remote viewing. So I've been a long time acknowledger that uh, UFOs have been real, as I mentioned, since 1953 at least. And I went to UFO conferences and so forth. And it was actually at a, a conference on new science and ancient wisdom in Berkeley in 1999 that had UFO stuff in it where I first heard Coup Calabrese. Uh, I have a friend, uh, Kathy, who uh, is also into UFOs and she became Coup's executive secretary in Carlsbad. Uh, but before that, she invited me to go to this conference and I heard Coup talk and took the training with her. And then uh, after that, I learned more about the uh, UFO stuff. Actually, I have to backtrack because in 1996 or so, I was aware that of Farsight Institute 
And they were predicting there was going to be a nuclear explosion in New York City. And my son at the time was uh, studying in New York City. And so I, I looked at them, uh, I looked them up online where I could find out. This was before I'd gotten into uh, formal remote viewing, but I had done some remote viewing earlier based on Ingo Swan's natural ESP. I tried it at work. Then I had young kids. I had to set it aside for eight years or so. So I checked out Farsight and my conclusion was I didn't trust them enough to um, warn my son because my son didn't believe any of this stuff. He wasn't into it at all. He would hate to leave New York City. He was in college. So I didn't um, alert him to that. Unfortunately, they were dead wrong. Um, and of course, when I heard Prue speak in 1999, I knew about the background that she had with Farsight. And uh, by that time, Hale Bob had happened and I was aware of Hale Bob. Uh, comet, which if people haven't heard, that's where Prue and Courtney got suckered and snookered and uh, fell for it and went on the Art Bell show. And uh, even after that, both of them have claimed that there was actually something accompanying the uh, Hale-Bob Comet, which uh, to me is highly questionable. So what would I, as a, as a leftist, be doing with these people who were promoting all this uh, weird UFO stuff and remote viewing? Well. When I found out that they had paid viewers who were getting salaries, and I knew that because uh, I, know, I knew Don Walker briefly uh, before we got to get his real friends, and he was down there in San Diego, close to Carlsbad. Plus, my friend Kathy uh, was offered a job by Prue, so she and her husband moved down to Carlsbad, so they were getting paid. They weren't getting the 80000 a year, which a few people were getting um, for a couple of years based on this $1 million amount, uh, as it said that was donated by a Hollywood star. So when Prue would start tasking these UFO stuff, I remember she tasked me one time, she said, would you, don't you want to task this UFO stuff? I said, Prue, there's no feedback. You know, I don't want to test stuff where there's not feedback. She said, oh, okay. But I did write an article for Daz's Eight Martinis about UFOs over Oakland, California, because I, viewers had done that. Don and Roma did it, I trashed them. And also there were microfiche in the library, which uh, conveyed uh, what had actually occurred over the skies, according to the newspapers. Of course, there was a big flap and maybe there was a lot of hype put into this. But nonetheless, there seemed to have been some sort of UFO phenomenon in, over Oakland and over the West Coast and then moving east in the 1890s. And the, view, the sessions that Don and Roma did, did suggest that there was something weird in the sky that might be related to this matter. So that was the only article I ever wrote about it. But John also, John Vivanco was into this stuff and I didn't have their experiences, but because they were having a successful business and they were very sharp people, two of the best, Roma, uh, uh, John Vivanco and Prue are two of the best viewers that have ever come along, as well as analysts, as well as having enough business skill to run a successful business. And you know how few of those there have been. So they had all that going. So all this other UFO stuff, even though I believe in UFOs, but I wasn't experiencing it. I just said, okay, well, that's the way it is. We're, we're learning, we're being taught, we're, we're tasking. We're doing projects, we're working with the FBI, we're working with people in uh, uh, Britain over the missing people's cases and so forth like that. So that's just my experience. I explained some of this in my book uh, and there's more details, but those are the essence of, of how it came down in, in transdimensional. Thanks for that, John. That was a great background. Uh, I think, Rich, Rich, you're still waiting for the next topic, aren't you? Okay, so SF, then, do you do want want to go again and ask your question? No? Okay, uh, 
then we're back to Pablo again, or is Pablo Astiz? Yeah, uh, I, sorry, I, I raised my hand again. Thanks to, okay. to Brett. He, he brought something back to my mind. So after the, the APP, uh, you know, uh, sessions, uh, probably one week ago, well, time goes fast. So um, I shared something back with Tom and Russell. So basically, long story short, I started RV because the, the friend that, uh, that, you know, told me to, to try it. We're, you know, doing some physics work and he told me, you know, people is complaining they don't have microscopes, but you know, this technique can be used for, for that purpose. We found some articles regarding that. And the cool thing is that you could get feedback one way or another, right? You could do something, design something, and then try a few experiments, uh, lab experiments to see whether what you got was right or not. At some point in time, this guy, which I, I could, you know, verify many of, of his credentials and so on. We started talking about Ingo. He met Ingo a few times. He also met uh, Hal like three times. I got copies of some of, of his emails that were exchanged with Hal, for example. Got emails that cannot be shared. I still, you know, for, for a few people only, and I will respect that. And shared with Russell and Tom uh, what I could share, right? Just still looking for a few things trying to contact his family to see if we can find his belongings, a few more details because he recently passed away. But all of this is related that he told, he shared with me at some point around the starts of the 70s, when they, they, they I mean, he and a few others working with him uh, met Ingo. Uh, he did uh, not RV, he did something like PK with a camera where he, he got a picture of the rover on Mars. Uh, sorry, sorry, the rover on the moon. Uh, and similarly to that, um, Uri Geller did something like that. Uh, Ted Sirius did something like that. And the funny thing is that he warned me. He told me, hey, there's stuff you should not meddle with, or at least not in that depth, because you will get born. And that's what, what I agree with, uh, with Brett. You cannot be reckless. I faced that when I asked too much about it. Uh, I got first-hand experience with people, I don't say from our place, but people kind of sending you a message, stop checking into this. And what pops in my mind is, it's like when the grown-ups hear that the kid's talking about something and when it goes out of the limit, they, they need to step in, right? So the same thing applies here. He, he shared, and a few other people around his circle shared, including Bob Dean, that whenever you dig too much into subjects like, like his book, Penetration, you will end up finding things that he kind of artistically painted a little bit different and you should not be getting near unless you are willing to get born. So recklessness can only lead to, to a few things if you're not prepared. And I completely agree with, with Brett. Uh, I'm just sharing this, take it as anyone wants, just sharing. But I think it's important because we need to look out for each other and make sure that we don't just jump out of the cliff, right? Yeah, if I could just say one more thing to that. I mean, I, thanks, Pablo, for sharing that. And I think, I mean, I wish when I began this, that there was someone out there who was saying that, who had that opinion a little bit more loudly in the community, where it's like, be a little bit more responsible where you put your attention, because it's not, Daz says this all the time, he tries to emphasize this remote on Facebook, remote viewing is not a toy. And so understand that, you know, it's a... Uh, there can be 
consequences to you misusing it. So, uh, and I'm not trying to also fear monger either. That's really not what I'm trying to do, but just be smart. It's like, don't be reckless about what you're turning your attention to, whether that's for an unknown tasker or whether that's for towards, you know, a type of intelligence that you know literally nothing about. You know what I mean? So be smart. That's all. That's, you know, use a little bit of uh, caution. That's it. Okay, thanks, guys. That's been a great chat so far. Has anyone else got anything they want to add on the, uh, on the kind of yes, alien UFO front? Go for it. Uh, just as a footnote, um, so I forgot to mention, so Prue and Philip K. Dick both received huge inflows of thought balls that flooded their mind with all kinds of information. Other people have referred to this recently, I think from Philip K. Dick. So, you know, Prue's book has a lot about Bob, this guy Bob, and also the gray dude and these thought balls. And one of the thought balls or one of the messages that the gray dude conveyed to her was this thing about the big event, which I wrote about in my book. Uh, so the big event, what was that? So the gray dude said, well, looky, we're gonna have a huge event in the world and transdimensional systems is gonna be int intimately involved and play a major role. So what did Prue do? She assigned this thing, hundreds of sessions we did on the big event that the gray dude had suggested to her. Well, the, great, the big event never happened, as far as I know, and as far as anybody else knows. So it was a huge waste of time that talking about, you know, having aliens task you or involved with what you're doing, that would be a prime example of something that in retrospect looks really silly or, you know, clearly unworth doing. But Prue was sincere. She, she was a genius in many ways. She believed it. We did it. Um, what can I say? It was part of this large company that was successful for a time and then finally crashed for various reasons that have been discussed elsewhere. I'll leave it at that. Excellent stuff, guys. Uh, I think we've, well, unless anyone's got anything to add on this topic, I think we've run, run, on, run the ground on this one. Has anyone got anything they want to add on this? One last uh comment on this question I've got and I promise I'll stop uh, you have to wonder all these um, flybys and the U.S. Navy's reporting and everything um, you got to wonder what would be the point in those UFOs or aliens or whatever they are to be hanging around all those ships all the time because they could just hang around them a little bit and learn what their capabilities are so there wouldn't really be any need this constant surveillance interaction this seems kind of odd. That's all I would say. I don't, I don't have any idea why that would be, but it doesn't seem like they would be doing that. But... Yeah, I don't know. You have a point there, actually, um, because in some cases, uh, the pilot said that the the UFOs were interacting or UAPs were interacting for a period of two years. So that's it. that's an interesting one. Um, maybe they have a sense of humor and they find it funny. I don't know. I'm that would be great. Right. We're just pranking you guys. That that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like hanging out with my do uh, boss's dogs here at work. They're gone right now, so maybe that's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we did a poll on this, um, and the poll says I, I'm not sure if everyone did it, but uh, 92 percent of the people in the chat uh, answered the poll, and 49 percent of the people said yes, they've had a UFO or alien experience. 
Uh, 18% said no. And another 33% said maybe. So, you know, out of all the people here, and there's 43 people here at the moment, that's quite a high number. So I'll end the poll on that one now, and I'll share the results. So you can all see that. Uh, I don't know if you can download it. In, oh, yeah, it's got a download button, so you can download the poll results if, if anyone wants to keep that. And Rich, do you want to move on to your second subject? Because I think we finished this oh, one. Sure. Um, a, I think the download thing might just be for you since you're a moderator. I don't see it anyway. Maybe. Okay, I've got the download, so I I can put the uh, the poll results in the wherever I put the videos for uh, upload on YouTube. I'll I'll put a link to the file on that for everyone to have as well. Cool. Actually, I might be able to share it in the chat window as well. Um, yeah, I guess my next topic uh, is uh, dependent upon Russell. I just had a question for him. Um, is my understanding that you've been practicing uh, remote viewing for three years. Please correct me if I'm wrong, obviously. Um, but then you were talking about how put off and, and things like this. So uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing, I'm just always so interested in people's backgrounds, how they got into stuff. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about you? Daz, is that cool with you? Okay, I'll make it short because it's not that exciting of a story. <laughs> um, I was browsing online one day uh, on the Jeff Rents website, which is kind of a conspiracy platform. In the banner ads on the side column, I saw uh, remote viewing. And I was like, oh, what is this? So I clicked on that and ended up uh, doing a little bit of a search, which landed me uh, at the remote viewing manual downloaded it in my office, printed it out, took it home. And my impression of it was, a, you know, as a military manual, having been in the military myself um, and used tech manuals, you know, which are usually like 14 pages on how to undo a screw. I uh, was just stunned when I started seeing words like matrix and reading and just going, what is this? So I located Paul's website in, this was probably August maybe of 2010, contacted him. Uh, he was booked for, I don't know, six months. I was ready to go operational as a remote viewer in 90 days. So I passed on scheduling with Paul, found an immediate uh, opening with Ed Dames in Sparks, Nevada. And I think it was October of 2010 went down there, took two days of live training, just a Saturday, Sunday course, came back home, did his DVD, did his master's DVD, did some other things. Ultimately, I, I just simply was not that good. The, the, the product I was getting was disappointing. I mean, I had enough, like, mm, but maybe not. So I quit practicing sessions. And then I just got into pure study, got uh, very um, interested in Ingo, got, found everything that was available at the time, ordered all of his books and just kind of went crazy for a while. During, the, uh, during that, I discovered Ingo's online autobiography, Remote Viewing the Real Story. And in it, he had mentioned, uh, I think there's four or five pages in there about his Scientology experience. I left Scientology, or well, I left Scientology a year after Ingo did. The last recorded uh, 
transaction he had there was 1982 and I left in 1983, which was a very intense and unpleasant experience. So when I read in maybe 2011 or something, uh, his story, I thought, man, that, that, ah, it's like I left that behind. Here he went. So what I did was just happened to like a guy, uh, you know, driving around the, the Puget Sound around Seattle to Bellevue, about 70 miles away, who was actually L. Ron Hubbard's personal auditor from like 1963 to 1966. And he had a very reasonable rate for doing sessions. So I did a very uh, significant number of hours of sessions with him. Got even more interested. And then I found some people uh, around here and there as far away as Germany that all had uh, trained during the same episode of time Ingo had. A couple of them had actually been in courses with Ingo. So I, I put out a fair amount of money to uh, get trained to, you know, what Ingo and, and what uh, group, the group and other Scientologists that were around remote viewing the OT7 level. And that uh, really was just intended to, to walk a mile in Ingo's shoes. What, what the hell was behind all of this? And, the, and I mean, these were very serious people. And then I flew a trainer here from Europe um, for the last of the upper level training. And trust me, there's no secret nonsense. There's no mystical revelations, none of that. That was PR. The only valid point to those um, levels, if you will, was that they were an appropriate gradient. If it, it, Just like, so if someone walks in the door to the remote viewing uh, community and suddenly you throw them into stage six and throw them into contact with an alien. I mean, you know, people. So, so that was the only valid point to those secret levels. There's nothing behind them that anybody's missing. And I promise you, even Ingo said that in one of his Scientology interviews. So then a little over three years ago, I was sitting right where I'm sitting now and something said, get back into remote viewing. And I'm like, oh, you know. And so I thought, well, I'll take a reach at it. And that led to a series of events where we were looking at instructors uh, on YouTube. Uh, my girlfriend, Nancy, and our housemate, Catherine, who um, have incredible intuition. So they're kind of like guides, if you will, for me. So we were going through, and then Paul came on, we, uh, and they both at the same time pointed from the separate parts of the living room, that's your instructor. And I said, well, that's the guy I contacted the very first time. And they're like, that's your instructor. So I signed up and I took Paul's uh, basic course. Then I took his sketching course. Then I took his intermediate course. Then I took his um, week long or five day long operational course. And then I took his advanced course. And the difference was significant. I actually started having some good correspondence. And then, you know, I've even like everybody landed a few sessions where you're just like, how the hell did that happen? And since then, I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm pretty much dedicated to this and I'm gonna continue this path and learn what I can learn and that's it. So hopefully that answers your question. No, in hindsight, I apologize for putting you on the spot, but that was very interesting. Thank you for sharing. 
no, I don't feel on the spot. I just don't like to go on and on about it. But um, so anyways, yeah. So it's been a little, so October, November, December, got to count on my fingers. Uh, <laughs> November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. So uh, 10 years and eight months I've been involved. I, I've, I basically, like I said, washed out in the first round. And then now this last little over three years with Paul, I, I you know, I can't promote training enough. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing and glad you stuck with it. Thanks, Russell. I see that Kiara always got his hand up again. Okay, I'm going to go in a little bit uh, different direction for, and it's a really great RV direction. Uh, a couple of years ago, I met a gentleman who spoke eight languages. I used to be a language teacher. He gave me a copy of his book. He explained that if you want to teach people something, get them motivated about it. Find out what it is that might make them really want to learn whatever it is you're teaching so that they have their own personal motivation to learn and they might even go faster and stronger than the teacher. Of course, because I've taught a lot of people, I thought, oh, he's right. How come I didn't see that? So here's the question. The question for everybody here, especially those that have been practicing RV forever and teaching it, and then the rest, all of you. What motivates you or what have you found that motivates students to learn and practice RV? And of course, when I say remote viewing, I mean ideograms, AOL, verifiable feedback, things like that. Anyone want to answer? I will give it a shot, Kiao. So I started, as I mentioned, you know, for scientific purposes, you know, another tool in the tool bag. Of course, the the, the curious thing, and I was warned by, by the guy that, uh, that taught me RV, is as you progress, you, you get a little bit more sensitive and you start asking new questions and you start wondering about new things. So that, that's how it happened. What kept me motivated is not only because it worked, amazingly it worked, but because I, I kept discovering new things little by little. Of course, I had like uh, similar to Russell, uh, probably because we, we did the, the first same training. Uh, I had like a blackout period. And then one way or another, I kept coming back to, to RV, get, uh, got motivated. And, and you know, I, I got to say it, uh, how it is one of the key things why I'm, why I'm really motivated right now. It's because of that. And all these meetings, all everything he has published, then, you know, you, you got Russell and a lot of other people in the community that made me feel, you know, way much better about how things are progressing. And that keeps me motivating, wanting to learn more and participating. So thank you very much, everyone. And I hope I answered your question, Kiao. Bear with me a minute while I let some people in. Uh, anyone else got anything to say on this one? What motivates you or what have you found that motivates students to learn and practice? Can I say something, Jazz? I got it. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Um, well, I sort of came into teaching remote viewing because Mike Webster, who taught me, passed away, but I'd already started helping him and supporting him in his teaching. And I just love connecting with people and understanding my experiences of life before I was into remote viewing. And coming from a complementary therapy background, um, I think that really helped with the protection and things like that. But also it's helped me to understand how I perceived life, which was normal for me. And connecting with people that are used to having 
alien experiences and things like that, which isn't usual in all of society to share things like that. And it's just lovely to be able to just be normal with people and have the extraordinary being more normal. Thanks for sharing, Julia. That was a, a great answer. Uh, anyone else want to answer this question? Yes, I, uh, I can't actually raise my hand right now. I'm driving. Um, <laughs> I guess what, what really uh, motivates me besides uh, the opportunity to make money and see myself learning a skill is uh, a lot of motivation comes from my friendships with people on the remote viewing discord, people like uh, David and Grin Spicket. They, they really just constantly working with them, seeing what they can do really helps me push myself to see how I can rise and learn from a lot of the, their methods, et cetera. It's been very helpful. Another great reply, and thanks for that. Anyone else want to answer this this question for Kiao? I'll, I'll throw one additional thing in there because I think it's important. Um, I, I, when I came back from Ed Dame's training, I got together a group of two people, um, Nancy, who's now my girlfriend, but wasn't back then, and then Catherine, uh, who's also just a friend, who's now uh, our housemate. And she, Catherine, couldn't afford to um, go to the training. So I bought her the DVD set um, to do while I was gone. When it came back, you know, she showed me this feedback from the DVD and her session. And I was like, oh, no, no, you're not supposed to, you know, you've got to, and she's like, no, I stopped the DVD. I did the session. Then I looked at the feedback. I'm like, well, and so I couldn't believe her results as I went through her book. I tasked her a few times myself. And when I saw like her fourth time, knowing I was the only one in the world. Now, this was only single blind, um, but knowing I was the only one in the world, I, I cried. And it's still emotional to me to this day because it was the awakening, the realization. Once you spent so many years trying everything, meditation, blah, 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 blah. It's all subjective. There was nothing like remote viewing. And at that moment, um, her work is what caused me to not, uh, caused me to, to not quit entirely. And that's when I went on to study. Um, she had, uh, so Nancy and uh, Catherine both have converted to CRV from, cause, uh, from TRV. They produced some sessions, two of Catherine's sessions, Paul, uh, I sent to Paul for Target Ball and he couldn't post them because her drawing was the feedback. And she is, uh, her and Nancy both picked it up and exceeded me <laughs> quickly, which is a great, humility you teach them and suddenly they're better than you so the the product and this is where i'm about you know have someone do a session see if the first timers affect this kind of thing but it was seeing it it was seeing it work that inspired me you could talk about it all day but when you see it work it it, it i think it inspires students and instructors alike 
uh, I just want to say something. Uh, well, I, I, if, if I may, uh, I find about RV in, let's say, extraordinary circumstances um, when uh, it was about uh, a dear person who was about to die and uh, starting to ask and to want more about consciousness and uh, what's behind this. And so after a while I saw about RV somewhere and um, two years prior of this, I came across Ingo's name in a, just by chance in an article and all the things was uh, extraordinary also, but uh, I let it down and I forgot, I completely forgot it until, well, two years later. And I started this and I thought, oh my, I can find out everything about everything and about everyone just by staying on a white piece of paper and a black pen and write there something or think or not think <laughs> on something. And um, I met extraordinary people here in the community. And um, I started with Lori, it was awesome. I dreamed for a year about Daz training and styling, and now I'm with Daz, of course, and so I thank him for that. But I think all you guys are awesome, and um, all your experiences and all your trainings, all your projects are inspirational for me. So this is, this is it. Thank you very much. Great answers, everyone. I'll, I'll add a, a quick one to the list. I uh, started getting into uh, psychic stuff when I was about 10 years old. I was luckier than most people because my household was a um, very psychic-friendly environment. My mother was a clairvoyant medium, and she ran the local spiritualist church for a couple of decades. So there was a big library of books and everything, so it was very easy for me um, to, to get into this. When I was 15 years old, because... Uh, from the age of 12 onwards i was keeping what we class as a, in classical techniques a psychic diary so every time you have an experience you write it down in your diary and you know you record it i wrote when i was 15 years old in 1985 that one day i would find a technique that would allow me to time travel with the mind of course i didn't really know what i was talking about back then and then in 1992 um roughly seven years later at ufo conference i heard for the first time about remote viewing in a taped conversation uh, about Ed Dames talking about what he did for the government. And then literally since then, uh, I've spent my entire life learning everything I can about uh, RV. Um, and over the last two years, uh, although I've never really wanted to, I have to be honest, but over the last two years, I have started mentoring a couple of people a year. Uh, and I'm quite lucky at the moment to have uh, a past uh, mentor student uh, in the group here listening and to uh, including Dimi, who is going through training right now uh, or, or mentoring. I, I prefer to word mentoring rather than training. Uh, and I find that they're an inspiration because it's amazing to see uh, how someone starts developing their intuitive skill and how they progress through the rv process could be any any process i'm using crv 
um, but it could be anyone. But it's amazing to see how they open up and how they blossom and uh, uh, and the smiles on their faces when they realize that they're actually getting, you know, they're getting it and they're getting the data. That's 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 my motivation at the moment. Um, so has anyone else got anything to add on that one or should we move on to in their subject? Or oh, Brett's got something to say, I believe. Yeah, I could uh, add to that topic real quick before you move on. Um, <clears throat> kind of the genesis of me starting with RV to where I am today, it definitely has shifted a lot. Uh, I, I continued, I started it because I was kind of, I had some really amazing first time effect sessions. And uh, I mean, uh, for me originally, my motivation to keep learning more and getting better is I wanted to use it to, uh, for mysteries targets. That was my mo main motivation. And obviously that came with, you know, from the pre past topic, oh, little did I know, you know, sometimes what you wish for, you, you be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. Um, but since then, it, it changed rather dramatically to uh, how, how can I use RV in a grounded, useful way. And that would be not just helpful to myself, but also that could other people could also do and help other people. And I know a lot, it's, it's very much split in the RV community uh, on this topic, on the application of RV for this. But for the past several years, I've been using and spending the majority of my time using RV in the market and rather successfully. And one of the things that I've been doing, I haven't I've only done one presentation on this about a year ago, uh, but kind of my goal is to have a about like five years of work showing all the detailed sessions, what I've discovered, how much money I've made in a very long kind of undeniable uh, presentation and document. It probably end up being a book someday. But daddy say, hey, here's where it's like, you can't say, listen, here's interesting RV, you know, that allows people to write off. It's like people understand hard cash. They understand here's a statement from an account that's made X amount of money. And, you know, if there's multiple ways to kind of corroborate that and prove that, I feel that's a really interesting way to get people more interested into developing themselves. And that's kind of the first step with this. After that, I mean, well, okay, great. I get to that point. My second motivator for that is to then use that money to uh, funnel it back into remote viewing. And that would be to, I want to fund a, uh, a school for remote viewing. I want to fund an actual research and development lab that continues like, I'm only one person. There's a tremendous amount of really good viewers out there. This is similar, something similar that, um, uh, who was talking about John, you talked about when he's talking about TDS, where there was a benefactor who had a lot of money said, Hey, pay some reviewers a really good salary to just really work and develop remote viewing. Like if that's something that could exist on the scene again, like uh, that would, that's something I'd love to see. And if I can, you know, in the future, uh, kind of help fund that in some way, that's something that I really want to do genuinely. And, um, you know, maybe the third branch of that would be something like an actual applications group. You know, if there's a school and a research and development lab for RV and kind of continuing those techniques, then maybe there could be a third branch of people come out of that. That also can make money by applying it towards, you know, client work. And so that kind of vision is what's kind of kept me one more in the short term is, you know, to... Uh, to do something that's a little bit more grounded than the esoteric stuff, which spent, I spent a lot of years remote viewing 
And that's in financial markets with RV, but then the long-term vision that's kind of kept me motivated. And I know a lot of the other people that I work with, they kind of, they've just shown up in uh, my life with very similar um, visions, you know, synchron how synchronicity often works, but uh, is in the future is to have some sort of a, you know, a remote viewing school and kind of research lab. That's something that, you know, I, it's not gonna happen tomorrow, but it's definitely a big goal that keeps me motivated to keep going, doing what I'm doing. So practical applications, I think is something that uh, are a little bit, it, it, it's so nuanced, I feel. So they're not, as you tell someone about remote viewing, it's like, oh, interesting, what can you do with it? And someone says, well, you can find your lost keys. And it's like, no one cares at all about that. No one cares at all about finding your lost. I mean, a lost, I mean, it's, you know, people, to me, what really clicked with me is like, what do people actually care about that aren't remote viewing that it'll stick with them? And that's the practical application that they could use it to, uh, you know, pay their bills to make a living off of. And it's a lot of people don't like that use of RV and that's fine. But uh, that's, that's one of the things that myself and some of the people that I work with that are really good remote viewers, um, we see as an, as an avenue to kind of attract people to say, hey, check this out. There's a way more you can do with it than just making money, obviously. But it's a way to kind of get a little bit more validation in a larger community that may think that this isn't even real. So those are some of the motivations uh, of me and not only just me, but a number of the other viewers that I even work with on kind of what our thinking is and what our goals are. So anyway, that's it. Thanks, Brett. Uh, David, you wanted to add to this? Yeah, go on, seeing as we're all doing this. Um, so uh, when I first got into RV, I, I was like a materialist reductionist. I didn't believe in any of this stupid woo-woo stuff. Um, and I came to a point in my life where I knew I'd missed a trick, like I'd missed something, but I had no idea what it was, but I knew it must be a bit out there. And I spent months trawling through all of like the conspiracy trash on the internet, trying to find something that I could test myself without signing up to somebody's course for $600 or whatever and doing their special, wearing their special hat that I have to buy, you know, and then found RV and was like, well, that's not going to work, is it? But I told myself, I'm going to find something I can test. And I tested it, it worked, and it was like, shit. Um, it's the feedback, right? Um, the feedback keeps me honest because we can, we can sit and do these weird meditations or spiritual practices or whatever. We can have all these experiences. And how do we know it's not just our imagination? With RV, we know it's not just our imagination. And, and it's, it keeps me honest in my other woo-woo practices. You know, that I know I've developed that skill and I know what that perception feels like. And I'm not sitting here deluding myself. Um, so it's a, good, it's a good yardstick for my personal development and it stops me going off on one and being like, ah, yes, the aliens told me the truth. You know, like, you can't do that, can you? And there's feedback. Um, so that's just a quick one. Oh, shush now. But I wanted to chuck that in there. I'm not, I'm not against making loads of money with it either. But that's not what keeps me motivated. That's just nice. Thanks, David, for sharing that one. And I think Sasha's on the on the board for next. Yeah, thank you. Um, and David kind of said <laughs> part of what I wanted to say, which was, I was, I think I, I'd had experiences that led me to believe when I was younger that there was more than the materialist perspective on reality. Um, but I 
I really look to science to make meaning and to, I guess, answer my questions to make sense of the world, to find, you know, not just the nature of the world, but of my role within it. And, and I didn't find that. And I found science just became so, it's so meaningless, I guess. You just, you're going through the motions, right? Chemistry is so fascinating when you start getting into it. But then the deeper you get into it, the more meaningless it seems, right? And I don't think it offers context. And I don't think it fills the, I don't know, I think for people who have an instinct that there is more than this, and you just kind of want validation for that. And you you go into science thinking you'll find that and it's just not there. And also science always gets corrected because it can never offer truth. It only offers the best understanding in the current moment with our current limitations. And so if you believe in whatever science says today, then two years later, oh, oops, we were wrong. The, you know, the diameter of the proton, we were completely wrong. And now we have better instruments and now we have a new value. So the value you memorized and you held as truth, well, that was not truth. And, and but the new value, that's truth. And so I think in science, truth is always changing if you mistake science for truth, for fact, right? And so I think with remote viewing, there's a sense that you can access more meaning, but I feel that I get demotivated when it starts feeling the same. When I start thinking of remote viewing as this is just a practice where I can figure out what image is related to this string of numbers. And then I get demotivated and I stop doing it because that doesn't give me a sense of meaning. And it, and it's, it validates the sense that, okay, there's more to my senses than, than the ones science describes, but that can start feeling empty pretty quickly if all I'm using it for is oh, it's the Eiffel Tower associated to these seven numbers. And so I think what Brett was describing is a lot more powerful than, than it might seem on the surface, which is that using remote viewing to raise funds, to teach remote viewing in a way, because there is meaning to be found in remote viewing. But I think it, it's very slippery, it comes and goes. And so I think having an application that you can see not only that it's real, but also that it allows you to, to live in this world without having to compromise yourself in the different ways that work requires us to compromise ourselves. I think that that's powerful as well, just that, that freedom that it allows. So that's all I kind of wanted to say. It's a little bit jumbled. <laughs> Sasha, thanks for sharing, uh, as usual. It's an interesting topic, isn't it? And I've seen over the years many people um, strive for where they can uh, fit remote viewing or where they can take remote viewing. Um, and I say, you know, I say to everyone, you, know, you have to find your own way, really, because uh, we're all different. Um, but, you know, there are no limitations to what you can do with remote viewing. Um, you know, if you want to make money with it, make money with it. That's, that's your aim. If you want to teach it, teach it. But you know, I. But you know, I've also said that there there should be aims out there where we maybe club together and do some humanitarian type projects as well, or some science related projects. I think they would be, they would be good in, in the general mix. You know, it's like I think it's like everything in life. It's good to have a bit of balance. Uh, if you do it, you know, you, you make a bit of money, 
you also do a bit of humanitarian stuff as, as well to balance that out. Um, but great questions and answers, everyone. Bear with me a second while I let someone else in. If you have, if anyone else has any questions they want to ask, maybe just yes. to kill that topic. Sorry, because um, I think we're done, aren't we, on that topic? Just so wanted to add something, yeah. Okay, I'll say one one quick thing, and then you're go you're on for it. Pablo. I, I learned since 2012. I used to know a bunch of people that have disappeared family because of their political activity. And I tried to teach a group of 13 of them once. And uh, I learned in this long, you know, every year I teach, sorry, mentor, Daz is correct. I, uh, I've learned in this mentoring process only recently that I will not mentor anyone unless they're ready to do 28 practice sessions alone. After, of course, I showed them how to do it. Why? Because once they get that independent confirmation, it just blows the doors open. It's it, like the others have mentioned. Really, if you're going to mentor, make sure they can do it themselves and they have that success because it's a huge, huge game changer. Also, of course, I totally agree with Daz on the humanitarian thing. I also present those ideas to them as part of my motivational things. For example, medical applications, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks. And Kiao, thanks for, for sharing that because one way or another it relates. So when Sasha was speaking, I was thinking, you know, I live in a third world. No, no, sorry. My mistake. Now it's a second world country because there are others that got worse, right? <laughs> but you will be amazed that probably right now more than 70% of the population doesn't know how to write or, or read. And why do I mention this is that, that I feel that remote viewing needs also to, to be uh, appreciated in, in this way. It's like when you're teaching someone to, to write or read and part of the corporate social responsibility programs we have, we go to, to schools and they help, you know, uh, scarce resources children to, to get to this. And the first barrier we get is that they tell you, why, why should I learn about this? I will not get a job because of this and everything is boring. But if you, you get patient enough, you, you teach them the basics and you let them discover, because not everyone likes the same kind of books, for example, then you're amazed at the reaction. They find their own way. They're amazed. Oh, I didn't know this before. One thing was to hear from other people. One, one completely different thing is to experience it. So I will go back to, to Ingo talking in, in a few videos of his experiential. Experience is everything. You, you cannot translate that to other person. You cannot share that with other person. You need to help them, enable them to, to experience it, and then decide by, decide by themselves, right? That, that was just my, my final note on the subject. Anyone else have anything to add on that or, or, or are we moving on to a new topic? Um, Daz, I... Hi there, go this for it. May, this, this may sound a bit unusual. <laughs> Why am I saying that in this group? Um, when I... Um, when I had my clinical practice and I'm, I did uh, trauma-informed care so this is this was people who'd had very different types of experiences. We're not talking about abduction or whatever. We're talking about every day, the horrors that can happen and the people who perpetrate them. Um, by asking questions of, well, what was, it's, it's, it's 
now that I know it, it's what Lori Williams uh, calls uh, the ambiance exercise, but I would ask what was happening before this? I didn't do deep hypnotic regression on this, but I would ask these questions that would, because they had been told, you're just too sensitive. You need to go back out there, get back on the horse, blah, blah. All those positive, that toxic positivity that people usually throw at someone who's had a bad experience, which is very similar to having them tune in to themselves, just like in remote viewing, you, you, you have to open up and tune in. And by using some similar principles, people were healing. So when Brett talks about, you know, expand, you know, everyday applications, like someone can earn money, which is the currency of our, our lives in, in the material world to have enough food to eat, to have a room that you have a, a lock on the door and all that kind of thing. And Pablo was just mentioning another currency, which is literacy, which is something most people don't think about in, in the world that I live in. Um, but just, just being able to live a safe life. I mean, remote viewing, I, I, had, I had one client who told me that she would have visions or these dreams, or she would know about something. And then she couldn't tell anybody because they thought she was psychotic because she had severe PTSD. And of course, at the time I wasn't using any particular, I mean, I was using uh, TI trauma-informed care but it was the same types of things. It's like, let's go through, of course, I didn't say let's go through the experience you had. It was a guided type of situation. And she began to differentiate between uh, memory projected fear. And she discovered that she, she, she used to call it this isn't witchcraft because she was involved in one of these evangelical churches. That was what was saving her soul from all the things that happened. And it was, um, but she began to be able to sense things and to begin to live a safer life. And I mean, that just meant the world to me. So to me, that's a practical application is giving people the tools to stay in, tune with the environment around them and to begin to understand that that it's it's very practical to live with this ability and to um whether it's earning money or being in a safe place or um, checking out what's going to happen two days from now when you're going to be in some other place. So that's, 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 that's been my best experience with it. Thanks.
Thanks, Ida. Thanks for sharing your experiences with us. Okay, I've got no questions up on or hands raised at the moment. Has anyone got? Because we're we're approaching uh, you know quarter to eleven here, so nearly uh, two hours. Anyone got any uh, topics that they'd like to talk about or or discuss here, or any questions you want to ask from any of the people that we have here in the uh, participant list? Nothing. I guess we may have run our course for today's evening then, and we uh, we can close a bit earlier. I think that I will have some subjects for the next next <laughs> call because otherwise it will become instead of two hours, four hours. <laughs> but, but but yeah, there, there's a lot to talk, and if it ha if I could have joined earlier. Probably I would brought the, the the subject on on stage seven that was recently discussed. Okay. I, I, yep. I think many of us may have had a few instances like what Tom described during during the, the session, mm -hmm. and I yep. think it will be a great topic for for next the next talk. But again, a great excuse to have a next talk, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a couple of people I'm talking to at the moment. I'm trying to get back in touch with Joe at the moment. Joe McMoneagle to see if we can get him back on because uh, I think he's on the men now. So, yeah, we'll see what develops over the next couple of weeks on, on talks. But, yeah, thanks for everyone for turning up again. You know, it's a Friday night. Most people, well, a Friday night here in the UK. So most people are out in, in, enjoying themselves and stuff. So, yeah, it was great to chat with you all. Have a great weekend. And we'll be back next week with something else to chat about. Perfect. Thank you, everyone. Right. Thanks for thanks your everybody. contributions, Bye. everyone. Thank Take you. care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. All right. Thanks, Dad. All right. See you soon. Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed.